Chronicles, we'll go to chapter 7 and maybe back up to chapter 6. Some have a variety of opinions about whether this particular pestilence that we're experiencing just happened or if it came from a market in Wuhan, China or if it came from a lab in China or if somehow God was in the matter. God could have allowed it to come from China or Russia or any other place. God either causes or he allows things to happen. We believe in a sovereign God. In 2 Chronicles, an admonition from God is given to Solomon. Some very familiar verses that we've looked at, but we'll look at the history of it right here. But it teaches the lesson that if we're in trouble as a result of sin in our lives or in our land or in our country, that there's a solution for it. Now, whether in your mind you think that God is behind this or not, we can clearly see that there are some similarities of what happened back in Solomon's time and the admonition that God had given. Should we be surprised if God is allowing this to get our attention? Do we deserve it? I think certainly we do. I shop occasionally at a little grocery store that Sister Marie Hayes' grandson David works at. And we'll always pass a memory to each other about Sister Hayes. And that always brightens my day and I think it brightens his as well. A lot of good memories of Sister Hayes. And when this first came about, within a few weeks, David said in passing, this very likely could be God's judgment upon our land because of all the little babies that are aborted. I haven't forgotten what he said about that. David had a desire to build a tremendous house for the Lord. But God did not allow David to build it. Now, God's shown you a degree of truth. And he's shown you the church. Or you wouldn't be here. If you've not had some degree of understanding about God and his truth and his kingdom. 
But if God's shown that to you, can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't have the opportunity to participate in it? David had a desire to build a house for the Lord. But because of some of the choices and actions in his life, the Lord said, David, I'm not going to allow you to build this house. But I'm going to let your son build this house. And so Solomon builds the house to the Lord, and this is a great thing because it is it represents the glory of God. And it says that, that God, not only did the house represent the glory of God, but God manifest his glory in the house. That's one thing for us to have a, a sign on the door and, and, uh, and say we're an old Baptist church. But it's another thing for the Lord to manifest his presence in the church. The building's not the church. We could have church out in the parking lot. In fact, on Wednesdays, we oftentimes do. And the Lord blesses. But God's blessed us with a beautiful building. And it represents something. It represents a place where we ask God to dwell and where God has chosen to dwell and where God has blessed in times past. Now, Solomon, it says, if you go back and I would encourage you to read 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and chapter 7 because it, 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 it talks about in chapter 6 the prayer that Solomon makes to God to dedicate the house of the Lord. And it goes on down to say that, that somebody overheard, and Brother Steve mentioned that folks are watching. Well, somebody overheard this great temple, house of the Lord that Solomon had built. They'd heard all about it. They'd heard about the grandeur and they'd heard about the glory and they'd heard about the wisdom that Solomon had. And they said, you know, I think I want to go see that for myself. Amen. Brother Compton said that uh, when he was uh, in his younger years, that he said the report went out about all the folks that had joined this church in Cincinnati, Ohio, where one one day they had, I think, 50-some-odd people that were baptized. And he said he went in and was getting his hair cut from a preacher barber. And he and the preacher began to talk about it. And he said, I'd like to, I'd like to go see that for myself. Brother Compton said, when do you want to go? He said, I'll be ready to go next week. And he said they loaded up and they drove to Cincinnati. And he said, we wanted to see for ourselves." The outpourings of the blessings upon this church being constituted and folks that were following in baptism wanted to see it for themselves. Well, there's a queen here, the queen of Sheba. And she said, I want to go see for myself what all this chatter is about, about Solomon and about the Lord's house and about his wisdom. And so the queen of Sheba went for herself. And it says in chapter 6 of, of Second Chronicles that, 
She went and she she proved uh, she proved uh, Solomon with with hard questions, and he was able to answer those questions to her satisfaction. And it 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 goes on down, and it talks about and and this is also talked about in First Kings chapter nine and ten and eleven, uh, the the experience of the Queen of Sheba, but. At, I'm going to paraphrase it for time's sake right here. But it says she proved him with hard questions and he was able to answer those questions above her satisfaction. And then it says that when she witnessed the tabernacle of the Lord, that it was far better than what she expected. And she said, what I was told and what I heard she says, even the half was not told me of what I heard and what I saw. And she said it was far better than what I had heard. That was Elder Compton and uh, the preacher that went with him. That was their, their experience of what they witnessed even when they went to Cincinnati. They witnessed the outpouring of the Lord's blessings upon the constitution of the church. And he said it was... A great blessing. The Queen of Sheba answered in her statement. And she said, it's apparent that the Lord has loved Israel forever. Brother Mike Rogers, dear friend of ours, did not grow up understanding the doctrines of grace, but... He said when he read that verse as he was studying about the Lord's house and about the beauty and the grandeur and the glory, when he read that verse that the Lord had loved Israel forever, wasn't because they were so lovable, wasn't because they were so righteous, it was because of his sovereign power. He said all of a sudden I saw the sovereignty of God and I could see election even in that. Well, you can read chapter 6, and that is the prayer of Solomon to the Lord. And he basically says, I'm going to summarize it, and you could go home and read it yourself. And it's, it's a real petition on behalf of the dedication of the Lord's house. But Solomon is praying to the Lord, and he says, Lord, would you, would you bless your house? Would you bless it with your presence? Would you bless it with your glory? Would you bless it to prosper from this time forward? And the Lord heard the prayer of Solomon. God had put it in the heart of Solomon to build the house and dedicate the house to the Lord. And then God honored that commitment that he had put in Solomon's heart. I want to just chase a little rabbit right here. If the Lord puts it in your heart to do something to serve Him, God will bless you in doing it. We got a handful of young folks right here. Matt, you still fall in that category of young folks. If you want to have a fulfilled life, 
the fulfillment that you're going to get is in following and serving the Lord. You may have some fleeting pleasures if you pursue the pleasures of life, the entertainments of life, the accomplishments of life. There's not anything wrong with those things, but there is something wrong with them if you put them in place of your service to God. If you take the life that God has given you, as Solomon was doing up to this point, and it says that Solomon was drawn away, if you can read it yourself, it says, by strange women. I don't know, strange women. But it says he was drawn away and enticed and away from the Lord. But when he was committed to the Lord, not only was Solomon blessed, but the people around Solomon were blessed as well. Don't think for one minute that your actions and my actions don't affect other folks. Because they do. Now look at what he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now the prayer is in chapter 6. You'd do well to read it. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and it consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And this is, I, I love this description right here. I, I, I believe that, I believe that I personally and I believe that we have experienced seasons like this even in the house of the Lord. I, I remember when, uh, and, and those of you that were here will probably remember this as well. It says, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. That doesn't only mean that it was full of people. It means that the presence of the Lord was there. And the presence of the Lord can be there even if there's a few number of people. I remember a time that at least I was blessed and I think you probably were as well. I believe it was the ordination of Brother Elder Andrew Huffman. And I'll never forget the presence of the Lord during that ordination service. And again, when Brother Asa was, was ordained, uh, and, and Brother Andy. But I remember Brother Andrew, when he was ordained, that uh, his two natural brothers, Mark was over here, and Justin was over here. And the congregation, they were leading the congregation in singing. And the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. I looked up at Andrew and I looked up at Mark and I looked up at Justin and tears were flowing down their face. When the glory of the Lord manifests itself, you can't even hardly contain it in these natural bodies. When he pours his blessings out upon us. It says that the presence of the Lord was so manifest in his house that it says that the priest couldn't enter into the house. And it says, because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And it says, the children of Israel, it says, they saw how fire came down and the glory was upon the house. Did you know that that's probably one of the, the, the prayers that we ought to pray is that God would bless his house, that his presence and his glory would fill the house in our day and time. That the presence of the Lord would be so strong that it would, it would move us uh, with emotion to feel and sense the presence of God in the Lord's house. 
It says that the children of Israel saw how fire came down and the glory of the Lord was upon the house. And it says when they witnessed this, they bowed themselves, their faces to the ground upon the pavement. And it says they desired to worship God and they praised God. And they said, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. When you see the glory of the Lord, it puts us in our right place in sight of God. We fall down before God and we realize that we're not worthy for God to manifest his presence upon us or his blessings upon us. And we realize how that we really and truly are just worms of the dust. And yet God, through his mercy and his grace, would bless us with his presence. And we are in awe. It says they fell to the ground and they worshiped God, saying, for he is good and his mercy endureth. Forever. Says the king and all the people offered sacrifices unto the Lord. And it, and it says that the Lord accepted the sacrifices that were offered unto them. Aren't you glad that God has chosen to accept our feeble sacrifice? Our little sacrifice of, of, of putting ourselves together. Of scheduling out time to come to the house of the Lord. That when you do that, that God has, God has already promised to accept your sacrifice even before you get here. How do you know that? He says in Matthew, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So even if our attendance gets down to two or three, God has already given you the promise that if there's two or three that are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them also. God is, if God is in the midst of us, he's promised that he'll bless us with his presence even before we get there. God honored their worship and their sacrifice and God accepted their sacrifice. But then it comes down and God answers Solomon's prayer. By giving Solomon a real warning for himself and for the people of God. Let's look at what it is right here. I pass by someone that has a sign in their yard and they have this verse, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, upon this sign. And no doubt the folks that live in this particular house believe that this admonition may very well affect the times that we're living in right now. Let's go to, well, we'll back up to verse 10. It, it says that the people were rejoicing, they were entering in, and they were rejoicing in the Lord. It says they rejoiced, and then they went to their tents. They were glad and merry in heart for the goodness that the Lord had shown them and shown to David and to Solomon and to all the people. It says Solomon finished the house of the Lord, the king's house, and all that came into Solomon's heart to, uh, to make the house of the Lord. And he went to his own house and he prosperously effected. He prospered. Then it says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night, and he said unto him, So God impressed God gave a vision, God gave an understanding to Solomon, God gave a message to Solomon 
And here's the message that God gave to Solomon. And this message very likely is for us today. In fact, I know that verse 14 is for us today because it tells us who it's written to. It does. The Lord gives this message to Solomon. It says, I appeared to Solomon. The Lord appeared to him by night. And he said, Solomon, I've heard your prayer. And he said, I've also chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. So God is, is answering Solomon's prayer. God is blessing Solomon's efforts in building and creating the house of the Lord. And he said, I've, I've acknowledged it. I've chosen that this is the place that I'm going to dwell. But he says, Solomon, here's a caveat to it. Here's a caveat. I'm saying that. God didn't say it. To my blessing, this house. Here's a contingency, Solomon. For my blessing, the land. Here's a contingency, Solomon, for my blessing, Israel. And here's also the solution. If they fail to follow through in what I've instructed them to do. Here's what he says. He identifies the problem and he identifies the solution. Let's look at it. And let's see if it's possible that we in our land, we in our churches should take heed to what God instructed and gave a message to Solomon about. He says, if I shut up heaven... That there be no rain. Now it's hard for me to imagine a drought here in Maryland. I mean, especially lately with the heavy rains that we've had. Um, it's hard to imagine a drought. Remember that uh, there was, uh, back in Preacher Thompson's time, a drought here in Maryland. And Preacher Thompson called for a prayer meeting. And they said that when Preacher Thompson arrived at the prayer meeting that he brought his raincoat with him. So I'd say that's praying, believing. And they said that shortly after the prayer meeting that God blessed with a rain here in Maryland. He says, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain... You know, that ought to give us some indication of who's in charge of the rain. It is. God's in charge of it. I heard one fellow tell me one time that just all the factors came together and, and just at the right time and that that created the rain. But right here, we understand that God's the one that's in charge of it. Well, if he's in rain, charge of the rain, he's probably in charge of the snow. He's probably in charge of the sun and the moon. And I'm just so thankful that God is in charge of all of that, that he's in charge. He says, but if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Another place, he says, if, if I send dearth upon the land, meaning desolation upon the land. He said, if I command the locusts to devour the land, 
Or, this is interesting right here. Or, God is saying this to Solomon. He says, or if I send pestilence upon the land. You can Google it, not right now, but look up pestilence. That means a very contagious disease. It does. When I looked it up, it said something like the bubonic bubonic plague. Can't even, sorry Katie, (laughs) couldn't get that word. She thought I was going to have to ask her to help me out. But a plague that's highly contagious and often deadly. Now, you can debate about whether this plague that we're experiencing is that or not, but at least there are a lot of folks that think it is. And he says that if I stop the rain from heaven, or if I send the plague of locusts, or if I send pestilence upon the land because my people have forgotten me, My people have forsaken me. He said, then there is a four-part solution for it. He mentions four things right here that we're to do. So do you think we'd be wrong in considering that it just might be? I've had folks that are pretty firm in their position on both sides of it. I've had good conversations with them. That some say, I really do believe I see the hand of the Lord in this. And others say, I don't see the hand of the Lord in this. I'll present this to you. Is it possible that the hand of the Lord could be in this? Let you consider it. Decide. But if it is, the solution that God gave Solomon here is not necessarily a vaccine, but it's a change of heart. Just as quickly as this manifests itself, even more quickly could it go away. Do you think that could happen? I've kind of got a date in mind when I think it might happen. We'll see. But it could happen even before that. And it's not going to happen until God's ready for it to. No matter what my date is, it's not going to. Brother Sonny Piles had a real good answer for this. He said, if you meet somebody that, that can tell you that they figured out when the Lord's coming back, that... that by their form of calculations and signs of the times that they can identify the very day that the Lord's coming back, he says, then I've just concluded that that is not the day that the Lord's coming back because the Lord has promised that he's not told anybody the day that he's coming back. So the Lord probably hadn't told anybody when this is going to end. But he has given us a formula right here. Look at it. He says, if I've shut up heaven, if I've commanded the locusts to devour the land, or if I, if I send a pestilence among my people, 
Some of God's people are even being affected by what we're experiencing right now. We've got Elder Dwayne Schaefer, a dear friend of ours in Texas and, and friend of yours and others that we, we know. To at least some degree, families are affected. People out of work, whether they should be or not, that's not the item to debate. The, the, the question is that there are people that are affected. People have lost their jobs. People, sadly, people can't be around their family members. Sadly, the, the, the old people, which in the most difficult time in their life, if they ever needed their family, they need them now. They need to be able to be with their family, not at a, a 6 or 10 or 20 foot distance, but they need to be able to uh, experience the embrace of their family during these difficult times. So he says, if my people, my people have been affected by it to some degree, just because of the land in which we're living in, we're affected by it. Look what he says. He says, this, not only has it affected my people, but he says, I'm directing the solution to my people. So this, this message, interestingly, this message is not directed to folks that are not following the Lord. He says right here, if my people, you want to see the rains come? You want to see the plague of the locusts stopped? You want to see the pestilence end? He says right here, the instruction for this is that my people, wonder what he's saying right here. He's saying, from what I can tell, the evil are evil continually. They're, they're not going to get better aside from the grace of God. There's always going to be evil. And it, there, it says that folks, as the last days approach, that folks wax worse and worse. As Brother Polk used to say, worser and worser. They don't get better. They get more worse. But he says the solution for this is that my people, as my people get away from the Lord, as my people get worse and worse, as my people make the wrong decisions and the wrong choices, my judgment will come upon the land because my people are going away from the Lord. Now look what he says right here. The solution, this is the way I understand it, and I, if, if I'm missing something, I expect that Brother, Brother Steve will correct me, uh, these good brothers that have more light on this than I do. He says, if my people, so it's directed to his people. He's not saying the whole world in general. He's directing it to his people. He's directing it to the Israelites there who had experienced the tabernacle of the Lord and the blessings of the Lord. He's ex expressing it to a land, a group of people. And now this charge is to God's people in general. It's to all of God's people, no matter where they are, no matter what country they're in, no matter what land they're in, no matter what church they're in. 
He says, if my people, which are called by my name. So he identifies the people right there. And he gives four things right here. This is very important for us right here. He says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall, number one, humble themselves. Um, in, uh, in 1 Peter, I, let's see. I had, let me get this verse. I think it was um, 1 Peter chapter 5. It talks about humbling ourselves before the hand of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, and He may exalt you in due time. Is it possible for us to humble ourselves? Let me ask you, is it? If it wasn't possible, you wouldn't be given the charge to humble yourself. If it's not possible, God wouldn't tell us to humble ourselves. You say, how do we humble ourselves in the mighty hand of God? I can tell you this much, that if we need to be humbled and we don't humble ourselves, God has a way of humbling us. And I can assure you that sometimes His way is not always pleasant to get our attention when God humbles us. Humbling ourselves in the mighty hand of God. What does that mean? That means a lot of times putting our desires behind us and embracing God's desires. How can I serve God and not my own sinful desires and choices? How can I humble myself before God? There's another way to humble yourself before God. If you feel like that you're not humble before God, here's another way that you can humble yourself before God. Throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New, we are instructed, we're instructed in the Sermon on the Mount. Brother Danny and others have mentioned the Sermon on the Mount recently. We're instructed in the Sermon on the Mount to come before God in three ways of worship. Giving of alms, in in prayer, and in fasting. In Isaiah, it describes many times over... That when we come before God in fasting and prayer, it refers to it as afflicting oneself. One way to humble ourselves before God is come before God in fasting and prayer. But primarily in in fasting. There's a whole message in that. I'm hoping the Lord will bless me to preach on it. Hopefully soon. But here's four things right here. If God could be in this, if he could be, shouldn't we consider as his people these four things right here? If my people, which are called by my name, shall number one, humble themselves. Shall number two, if my people will pray. Shall number three, if my people will seek my face. And number four, if my people will turn from their wicked ways. He mentions four things right there. And the charge is to God's people. The charge is given to God's people to humble themselves. The charge is given to God's people to pray. The charge is given to God's people to seek his face to seek the Lord and the charge is given to God's people to turn from our wicked ways there's a whole lot in each one of those and great lessons and great points to be understood in each one of those four areas 
But maybe we should look at our own lives and say, have I gotten to the point in my walk that it's distance from the Lord and I really need to be humbled? Maybe we should then pray, God, show me areas in my own life. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how that how that we have such clarity about the sins of other people, but we don't see it ourselves. We see, as we're taught in the New Testament, through a glass darkly. We don't see our own sins, but boy, it's amazing how we can sure see the sins of other folks, but we can't see our own. When we see our own sins, when we see our own shortcomings, I just had a brother that had a discussion last night. He doesn't live here, and the person this was about doesn't live here. And so you can rest your mind in this case. But he said, how is it that you can even maintain any degree of compassion for this particular individual that has gone so far away from the Lord and and done such a horrible thing? How can you have any degree of compassion for that individual. And I said, I had a preacher tell me a long time ago that any time that I'm pointing a finger to somebody else, I've got at least three, sometimes four, pointing right back at me. And when I see how much that God has had mercy upon me, I don't have any problem having mercy upon somebody else. He says right here, If my people, which are called by my name, four things. If they'll humble themselves. Number two, if they'll pray. Well, we ought to be a praying people. We ought to be. We should be praying for each other. We should be praying for our families. We should be praying for the children. Praying for the young folks. Praying for these older folks that would like to be here and can't be here. We ought to be praying for our president. Whether you voted for him or not, it doesn't matter who fills the office, we should be praying for him. We're instructed to pray for them. We're instructed to pray for folks that are in positions of authority. I wouldn't want their job. I mean, we ought to be praying for them. And I'll tell you something else. Some of this comes off conversations that I have with other folks occasionally. But did you know that that we're taught that that the heart of the king, in our case, is the president. This is not a political speech at all. But this is a plea because this is what the Lord tells us right here. That the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he turneth whithersoever he willeth. Now I may have missed one word there, but the point is... That God's got the heart of the king, of the president, of the governor in his hand. You want it changed? You don't like it? You've got something that's even stronger than any vocal voice that you would express. You've got an audience with the Lord. And if you don't like the way that it's going, talk to the Lord about it. Because the Lord is saying that that he's got the heart of the king in his hand. And it's not a problem for him to turn it.
whithersoever he willeth. So encourage you to pray for those that are in positions of authority for us. He says, humble yourself, pray, seek my face. And he says, and turn from their wicked ways. I'll mention one more verse here and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Turn from their wicked ways. Sometimes I hear folks say, well, that person got religion. Or that person found religion. Well, let's see what religion really is. James chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what religion really is. And it falls in line with this charge that's been given to us. Pure religion. I'd like to know what pure religion is. I'd like to find it and I'd like to embrace it. And I'd like for you to. He says pure religion, James says in 127, back in the verses before that, he says don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. He says, or we deceive ourselves. But he says, pure religion is this. Three things that pure religion is. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Number one, to visit the fatherless in their affliction. Number two, to visit the widows in their affliction. So, you want to know how to be religious. He says, here's two things you can do. You can, you can put your feet on the pavement and do these two things and you'll be religious. He doesn't say right here. It's, it's interesting. He doesn't say, well, I've kept all 13 of the articles of faith. Or I followed in all the ordinances. Or I've been an old Baptist 60 years. Interesting, he doesn't say that's pure religion. He says pure religion is finding somebody that's got a need and then using what you have to help that person in need. He mentions here the fatherless and the widows. My barber is a Christian I'm real thankful because often our conversation goes in that direction. And he told me about, I said, how many children do you have? And he said, well, we have, we have five now. And I said, well, I thought you had three and all of a sudden you have two more. And he said, yeah, he said, we have, we have five. He said, three were our natural children. And then he said, we decided we would foster some children, foster Two little infants. And he said, we, we got them when, uh, when they were about a month and a half old. And he said, the two that we have that were foster children. And he said, we, we fostered them. And he says, then all of a sudden, he said, I'm telling you, it was a God thing. Because he said, we only intended to foster these children. But he said, while we were fostering these two little children, he says, it's a God thing. Because he says, God put it in our hearts to adopt these children and to be a father and a mother to them. That's pure religion. To visit the fatherless, the little infants, and the widows in their affliction. But here's where the really tough one comes in. 
You might say, well, I can go visit some of the elderly shut-ins. I can express compassion to these little babies. But here's where the tough one comes in. The third one is right here. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. Hmm. That's tough. What's he saying right here? The world has a way, when we get around it, of leaving its mark on us. When we pursue it and we get engaged in it. That's in line with Second Chronicles 7. He says, and if my people will turn from their wicked ways. Then he says, and here's the solution. So it's so neat. It's such a blessing that God is an active God that is working in our lives, that is, is there uh, leading and guiding and protecting and watching over us in every respect. But sometimes he allows some things to come our way to get our attention. Brother Mark mentioned in his prayer several times about the blessing that we have to be able to meet together to worship. It means something to him that we can meet together and worship. Well, I think because we've not been able to do it, I think it probably means even more to us than what it did back last year. I mean, we took it for granted. We were... We, were, we had the blessing of meeting in New York City twice a month. We had the blessing of having services in New Mexico. We had the blessing of going to Columbia and meeting with the folks that were there. We had the blessing of being here Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and, and in homes and, and fellowship. And, and when that comes to a screeching halt, all of a sudden it gets our attention and we realize what a blessing it is. And even though we weren't each one praying audibly, we concurred and we felt an agreement and a kinship with Brother Mark when he mentioned the blessing of being able to worship together. God says, if I've used these things, it's to get your attention to bring about a change. And he says, if you bring about a change in your life, he said, then here's what I'm going to do. Now, I tell you, I, 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 I read the Bible through and through, and I see there is a direct correlation between God's blessings and our faithfulness and our obedience. God blesses you for being faithful. Doesn't mean you're not going to have challenges and troubles and difficulty, but God blesses you. I'm going to pull from Brother Danny here and share a thought that he mentioned one time. I hope he doesn't mind. I'll ask permission later. He said, you know, when I'm thinking something that I maybe shouldn't do or wondering whether I should or not. He said, there's a little voice that comes into my mind. And I said, I'm so thankful for that, Brother Danny. I hope that little voice is always there. I hope it's always there. Well, these verses right here resonate with the little voice that comes in our mind and in our heart. And it bears witness to that. And here's what he says. He says, if you do these four things, I just wonder, just wonder, if God's people across the United States of America were to do these four things right here, I wonder what happened. He says, then will I hear from heaven. God sees and knows all that's going on. He says, then will I hear from heaven. And he says, and by the way, I'll forgive their sin. That's good news. But he also says, 
I'll heal their land. Don't you think we're in need of that? Whether or not, no matter where you are in your position about how much God is allowing or causing this to happen, there are some marks in this that identify us with exactly the charge that God gave Solomon. And he says, if I see repentance, he says, then I'm promised that I'm going to heal their land. Now, wouldn't that be a blessing if the Lord did? It'd be a great blessing. May God bless you.